0: Start on a serious note here. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, what not what only... Kevin Hart-related news do you have for me this week? <laughs> no, John. It's John. This is very important. Okay. Okay. That because I mean, you and I aren't just film critics. We're also uh, big proponents of justice. And so, obviously, we want to see justice done. So today, I'm proud to announce the new initiative that you and I are spearheading. Mostly you, but so I'm just following your lead on this. It's the R. Kelly Innocence Project. No, we great. want to make sure that ed, that every voice is heard and that this wonderful entertainer, you know, gets gets exonerated as he should. You know, think John, about your all thoughts? Th- think about all the young men in in the world. They could be <laughs> accused of anything. Yeah. And you know, they they need no proof. They could be videotaped <laughs> on anything. <laughs> I mean, think of your child having a three-part uh, lifetime expose uh, p- brought against them. How unfair, okay? The Brett Kavanaugh's of the world. Ugh, these poor men who have their lives destroyed. Exactly. I know I know what'll scare people, John. I, in fact, vote. That, oh. that should intimidate you. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> My one vote in a sea of 600,000 other votes should... <laughs> Should absolutely send shivers down your spine. Well, you know who also votes uh, misogynist Oop. assholes, and that's how Donald Trump was elected. <laughs> so. Absolutely, you're right. Oh, it's like, it's almost as if there's no winning in this democracy we have. No, sadly not. If yeah. even called a call, the democracy for <laughs> 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 wrong um, Actually, we live in a republic. <laughs> uh, technically, yeah. we, we only re- we only elect our best and brightest to <laughs> best and brightest. <laughs> Protean slip right there. Yep. Let's <laughs> well, talk of we elect- about S- Senator Diane Feinstein. <laughs> yeah, yeah, check out the cans on that yeah, baby. I know. <laughs> Hoo-hoo, boy. <laughs> Greg, you you complained that you know you didn't want to do too much topical stuff on this podcast because you wanted to live forever. I that's true. And you open with this you open with this tirade this screed <laughs> against the mainstream media well john because again we're huge proponents of justice and we want to see due process handed out properly and so okay. i want to make sure that uh r kelly is exonerated because again he's such a beloved entertainer mm-hmm. uh the remix to ignition one of my favorite songs of all time so mm-hmm. obviously there's no way the man behind that brilliant track could do anything wrong and i mean if i'm if i'm not mistaken that beat was, like, fresh out of the oven. Almost fresh out the kitchen, if you will, as <laughs> yes. Don't worry, y'all. After the party is the after party. And following <laughs> that, we go to the hotel lobby. And around about four, we, you know, crib the lobby. <laughs> I think I know what song I'm going to end the episode with. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> and don't worry, a single royalty won't be paid. So I, no. I'll have a fresh conscience. Yeah. Mm. I love trapped in the closet, too. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Greg, all this talk of gangsters and rap, I mean... <laughs> R. Kelly's not a gangster. <laughs> Excuse me, Greg? He's from Atlanta, okay? He grew up on the mean streets, right? I, honestly, I don't know. I don't okay. know anything about R. Kelly other than uh, the He's a sex pervert. Traps in the closet, yeah, and he's a sex <laughs> offender who should probably do time. <laughs> But Greg, I was trying to uh, gently transition into the movie we're discussing this week. Of course we're talking about the classic film, one of which then I'm sure uh, R. Kelly and his many accolades and his colleagues in the rap game love. And I'm talking about Scarface. I was in the army. Yeah. Any family in the States, Tony? Any cousins, brother in law, anybody? Oh lord. Everybody stayed. You ever been in jail, Tony? Me? Jail no way. Been in a mental hospital? Oh, yeah. And they both coming over. What about homosexuality, Tony? You like men, huh? You like to dress up like a woman? What the fuck is wrong with this guy, Mike? You kidding me or what? Just answer the questions, Tony. OK. No. OK? Fuck no. Arrested for vagrancy, marijuana? Never, man. Heroin? No, nothing. Cocaine? No. Where'd you get the beauty scar, tough guy? Eating pussy? I'm not gonna get a scar like that eating pussy. This was when I was a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. You should see the other kid. And let me tell you, it's the performance of a lifetime from Paul Moody. Howard <laughs> Hawks is on top of his game. <laughs> This is the best movie from 1932 I've ever seen. Greg, we watched (laughs) the wrong Scarface. (laughs) Um, So this is one of the... I I really wanted to explore this movie because again, I feel like it has such a reputation Mm -hmm. around it, but I can't speak of anyone who's actually seen it. (laughs) What do you mean, John? I mean, people have their posters up in their dorm rooms (laughs) and at their crib. (laughs) Clearly they've seen it and love it. Exactly. Um, But one of the things that I soon realized is there's a good reason why no one's seen it. This movie's three hours long, <laughs> and I would, I, have no never, I would have never suggested for the podcast if I knew if it was this long. Yeah, I knew Oliver Stone had written it, but it's like, oh, wow, did he direct it, too? Because, oh, my gosh. No, John, it's from another brilliant man. <laughs> named Brian De Palma, uh, who's, obviously, who's a little bit known for his uh, Hitchcockian touches, a little bit more vivacity. Not in this movie. Mm. We take our time. This this movie is establishing shot, the movie. <laughs> Look, we get that great push-in of a clock, okay? And I think yeah. that represents the whole... You know how I felt uh, watching this movie? I felt like Michelle Pfeiffer's character. I was just like... I just wanted to be <laughs> you, like... You wanted to marry Al Pacino, too? <laughs> excite unseen? <laughs> I just wanted to, like, wander around lackadaisical and just go, oh, you're mm. so boring. All you talk about <laughs> is money. <laughs> and part of the problem with this movie is the fact that Oliver Stone wrote it, and he also wants to prove how well-researched it is. Like, so much of the dialogue is just kind of like, oh, look at how detail-oriented we are. It's like, it's all about the business, and it yeah. it's so Dry. Keys. Like, keys are, John, keys are kilos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> they use the metric system. Got it. Well, because it's coming from those socialist nations of, like, Bolivia yeah. and Colombia, so. Nice. <laughs> Um, I do appreciate the fact that it does try to give the historical context a little bit, because I was completely unaware of... historical you know, con- Yeah, you're right. I want to bring that up, because uh, unintentionally, this this turns out to be pretty topical, because I did not know that the setup for Tony Montana's um, arrival in the United States was an acceptance of Cuban refugees. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the title cards, and that's kind of a topic of today's discussion, centered around the border wall and the government shutdown, is like, oh, everyone, everyone kind of coming across our borders, every brown person at least, is probably a criminal. <laughs> exactly, they're criminals, yeah. they're rapists, and I sure, yeah. was, I and, obviously, some and obviously, and obviously, that's not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you wouldn't know it from the opening title cards that says like, hey, 125,000 Cuban refugees uh, came across on these like rusty old fishing boats from Cuba to Miami. Uh, Seeking asylum, Uh, Fidel Castro allowed them to leave. But then it, then it, in scare quotes, it says in in the blood red lettering, it says over a fifth of these people have criminal records. (laughs) Dun dun dun. (laughs) (laughs) Which a is. Even if that were true, which it probably isn't, I, ha- I have a sneaking suspicion why those people would have criminal records, and it might have something to do with uh, them saying, "Hey, Mr. Castro, I have a way where we can uh, run the government without starving people." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also it it seems to imp- like part of Tony Montana's character is the fact that he is kind of the quintessential American is the fact that he wants to do what he wants to do. And yeah. he obviously doesn't like to be challenged. Now, granted, we get a lot of kind of subtle misogyny in there as well. Mm-hmm. But the whole point is the fact that, um, you know, Tony Montana, you know, like, again, the story, all stories of gangster films are pretty much the same, which is the ultimate moral is crime does not pay, but also yeah. the American dream is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> The fact that you have to, like, lie, cheat, and steal in order to get your weight up to the top. A promise that is guaranteed or at least delivered to people who come to this country. You know, sadly, that turns out not to be true. So, and I think that's another problem. Like, why is this lauded as one of the best gangster films when, in my head, it's like, first of all, it doesn't even come close to one of the greatest films of all time. But also, it's like, what is it saying beyond the fact that it's kind of like, oh, it's a more... Cuban-influenced version of the original 1932 version, like, what does this bring to the table in terms of, like, gangster films? And for me, it wasn't much. No, it's well, yeah. I'll tell you what it's bringing, and that is a cartoonish portrayal by Al Pacino. <laughs> let's let's get into the character. So after these after these scary red title cards about <laughs> about uh, evil Cubans, most most few most of whom have criminal records, mm-hmm. like that poor old woman who's getting taken off on the stretcher, <laughs> and the child in in her father's arms. Yeah, the, again hardened criminals coming out coming off the boat. Uh, we're introduced. Uh, our hero Tony Montana is in the box. Mm-hmm. And he's getting, kind of getting harassed by the local cops, like saying, yeah. like, hey, what, where are you coming from? You know, what, mm-hmm. what kind of work you do in Cuba? Asking and then, him if he's a homosexual. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I partially understand dressing the way he does and acting <laughs> the way he does. <laughs> that's, that's what I couldn't square. I think... What what makes this movie different is, as you said, that quote Cuban like you know flair to it. Mm. Because what what do we associate most mobster movies w- or excuse me, what do we as- associate most gangster movies with? The Italian mob. That's true. And so like to have this take place in South Miami Beach, bright light or uh, excuse me, like bright sunlight, palm trees, all that, um, and the color of the city itself like that I could understand. Um, but what I can't understand is. Everybody's like, yeah i I see myself in Tony, Montana, a guy who doesn't take any shit, a guy who does whatever the hell he wants, and he's this flouncy <laughs> inarticulate <laughs> bobble headed like goon. I didn't like him no, <laughs> it's not the especially. most yeah it's a, it's the most like ridiculous histrionic portrayal, and I'm like this this guy's appealing, like this is the guy you want on your on your dorm room wall." <laughs> Well, I do kind of want to give credit to Al Pacino. I feel like this is kind of like the nice – I think he is – granted, I can only go off my reputation of what this film is. This is my first time seeing it. I assumed it was going to be like an over-the-top, Serpico character, you know, like his (laughs) classic, you know, oh, I'm crazy. You can't – but there is a lot of kind of quiet, nuanced moments to him as well. Which again okay. makes, makes the one. kind of ex, it makes the kind of explosions of violence that he is capable of, I think, a little stronger. Um, but granted, you're right. Half the time he is like, "Oh, these ladies, cocaine. you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous." And yeah, name name one of those subtler moments, John. Go ahead, cite, cite examples. Um, I think when he's uh, the first assassination attempt against him in the club. With that oh, okay, with that great comedy act. Thank God that climate skip. <laughs> I was so happy that climate skip. Oh, I thought you meant the comedy act of like, oh, we have Uzis in our laps. <laughs> and we'll slowly lift them onto the table under our dinner napkins. And, uh, it's, oh no, Hitchcockian. The, the... it's Hitchcockian. It's <laughs> Hitchcockian. I, there's, there's a few moments like, cause again, I was expecting him to just be like constantly like, oh, hey, what's going on with my cooking you know, the whole time. And he wasn't. Mm. So I, and I want to at least give a credit for that. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was. okay <laughs> <laughs> Because again, I, There's only a few things to humanize him, and unfortunately they come too late in the game. The one thing that really humanizes him is that his mother and sister, little sister, already live in Miami. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's
0: not until he's found some success in the drug game that he goes to visit them and kind of expresses his love and support for them. That is one of the biggest problems of this movie, is that his family doesn't give enough time or kind of like for a 3 hour movie yes. um like the whole the whole kind of subplot about his sister and his family definitely does not get enough time no that uh, should have get... happened immediately for exactly. us to sympathize with tony and actually want him to say carry out an assassination against the communist dissident <laughs> in this refugee camp at freedom tower mm-hmm. and then later to execute this drug deal that goes way way awry exactly because otherwise, in those scenes, like, I, I don't care about Tony, so I don't care if he succeeds or not. <laughs> well, no, but it's like, the whole part of what makes kind of, like, Goodfellas interesting is, again, there is that whole texture of the family. There is mm-hmm. the family, and then, quote, uh, the same thing with the Godfather. Why am I giving Goodfellas as an example? That's the Godfather, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I see what you mean, because yeah. at least in Goodfellas, he's, uh, Henry Hill, you know, hates his t- life stuck in a tiny apartment with five siblings, a father who beats him, mm-hmm. and sees at least the fantasy, or at least the the gl- Glory of living in the mob. Here, like Tony's a killer immediately expresses those killings, but we have no, you know, we have no emotional connection to him. Other than like, oh, this guy's a badass <laughs> when he's when he's not. He's wearing a stupid bandana and these these terrible Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> and he's a bad basketball player too. <laughs> All right, just hang back, come here. You're looking very pretty today. Guess you, I've been watching from over there. You wanna see something funny? Hey, take a look over there. You see that man there? Watch that guy. I gotta stand him. I gotta watch my friend here. He gonna stick his tongue out to that girl. Oh, look at that. Hey! Oh, yo! You're sick. You see what happened to him? Hey! Hey, you know, if I wasn't a nice guy, I'd come Come no, on, come on, get to pay for you. Come on. Cause some trouble like that. Come on. Bitch. What I tried to tell you? Lesbian. What I tried to tell you? This country... You gotta make the money first. Then, when you get the money, you get the power. Then, when you get the power, then you get the woman. That's why you gotta make your own moves. It is kind of like over the top, but again, like. Since the movie is such kind of a flat line, I also kind of appreciate the fact that he's a cartoon character. Yeah, so let's let's explain what we And mean, the other like... thing, too, is the world he kind of inhabits is also kind of a bit over the top. The production design, you have to admit, is pretty garish in a yeah. fun way. Well, yeah, the costumes are garish, all of it. Well, that's what's amazing to me. You comment on, yeah, the production design. They did this movie to the nines, mm-hmm. this remake, in terms of the, the costume design, the production design. Like later when we get into Tony Montana's uh, black wall painted mansion. <laughs> Which oh, is we just, get that. Which is oh, just ridiculous. Just one of the best montages in all of human history. Yes. Sir. Push it to the limits. <laughs> Push it to the there. Yeah, unveiling that's... of that great painting of him and his loveless marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before we get there, John, you just you right, you're, you were absolutely right. You described this movie as a complete flat line. Mm-hmm. And I want to explain why. Because earlier I called this the established shot, the movie. Mm hmm. Because uh, Brian De Palma, although, you know, literally trying to imitate Hitchcock as much as he can, (laughs) Mm -hmm. decides to frame every scene, or at least begin every scene, with an establishing shot on a crane. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they kind of pan, and yeah, it gives kind of the scope of of the whole city street, or say the refugee camp at at, uh, Freedom Tower, but it goes on for at least like two minutes of the camera just (laughs) slowly panning down or (laughs) slowly (laughs) gliding over to where Tony and his cohorts finally are. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little, it's a little also showy even with scenes where it's just two characters sitting down. It's like in that first establishing shot where we meet Tony Montana is being interviewed, like, you know, the camera's swooping around him. And, you know, there's also the other scene that kind of stuck out to me was when they're watching like the news report, and you know, it's like they're, they cut to the news report, but then they do a slow push in on each face in the <laughs> room watching this report. And I mean, we can talk a bit about Brian De Palma and what he, what are his trademarks as a filmmaker, a little bit later. But I don't mm-hmm. know. For me, it felt like he was kind of being a little kind of showy instead of like an artistic choice. I mean, granted, those Hitchcocking um, touches are definitely there, and then there are some like kind of brilliantly composed shots. I think. Like, for instance, the final kind of shootout, there is that crane shot at the very end where he's walking down the stairs. Mm. Um, I think that works a lot. And then also, the uh, <laughs> that first assassination that Tony Montana achieves, like, what is going on there? It's like a riot <laughs> and, like, the beds are on fire and he's, like, trying to slo- slowly creep through. Like, he's going through hell. It's That's a very interesting shot. <laughs> I, I, I guess, yeah. Um, well... Yeah, it doesn't give us enough context because his his uh Tony's partner Manny comes over and says like, "Hey, we got to kill this guy," mm-hmm. and almost immediately you peg him with his stupid hat and his glasses, and he's like crouched over, and <laughs> oh, oh, his like eyes he's shifting. Such yeah. a nerd. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, my papers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, and late. So exactly, he's so like vulnerable. It's not like it's not like Tony has to face a challenge here. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess that doesn't really happen. You do, we really don't get to see Tony be a badass until following this, he gets his green. Following this assassination, he gets his green card, mm-hmm. and then he's tasked with uh, executing a drug deal mm-hmm. on Miami Beach itself, mm-hmm. on that famous street. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, the, I I know they shot this in California, and it shows. I didn't feel I, like this was Miami <laughs> at all. No, I, I th- we've been there once. I I literally <laughs> thought that was the the actual Miami Beach. But no, I, there was there was a point where I was like, "That's Santa Monica. Who are you trying <laughs> to fool?" <laughs> I didn't recognize it, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is the only scene where I think I think you demonstrate what a tough guy he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this scene is much better executed. A from first maybe maybe the fact that there's some cutting going on, there's some <laughs> actual edits. <laughs> okay. We cut between this uh this kind of skeevy character like uh you know w- welcoming in. Come on, come on. Um, <laughs> there's this a, a horribly done up woman on the bed. <laughs> Speaking of, I guess makeup. We should also include in the, um, in the costume design and production design that they that they, literally just you know, you know snorted a whole mountain of cocaine and said like, "Let's do it." <laughs> <laughs> Don't get high in your own supply. That's rule number one. Yes. Well, technically rule number two. But anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, following the scene, we have our famous chainsaw scene. Oh, yes. Because the plan goes awry. Tony doesn't actually have the money with him. So the guy threatens first his partner. Or actually, what what am I saying? First disembowels his partner <laughs> with a chainsaw. Not disembowels him. Disin- disarms him. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> Dislimbs him. That's what he does. Yes, yes, you're right. Amateur surgery, but yeah. <laughs> which uh, we should comment is also like tastefully done. Like, oh, it leaves it up to your imagination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and uh, it works for the chainsaw scene. He does that later yeah. with like a shotgun scene. Like, someone gets a shotgun right to the face, which did not work at all. But mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe in this scene, it's demonstrative of like, oh yeah, Tony's being a badass. Um, but. Uh, from the scene, like we have to sympathize with the characters, we have to know what they want. And I think one problem that we're having with the screenplay, Oliver Stone is as uh, high as a kite as he was on that yayo, <laughs> um, didn't properly contextualize like Tony here is desperate or mm-hmm. what Tony will exactly get out of completing this drug scene. No. or say what's at stake for his family if he doesn't live. Exactly. And the other problem is like this before this drug scene, that's the only time we ever see him really struggle. Like, mm. it, you can't really feel like a full arc if it's like, I came from nothing, if literally you only get one scene of him washing dishes, and then yeah. the next scene he's in a fucking over-the-top mansion, you know? <laughs> exactly. That's what I, it, with this three-hour runtime, I thought, or I assumed, <laughs> mm-hmm. that we would see him move from literally a guy washing dishes to a soldier to the drug king kingpin and would be a laborious process and go through all the detail i mean oliver stone will talk about all the meticulous research he did in this process exactly instead we have a bunch of interminable scenes in which two (laughs) characters talk and says like hey tony do this for me he doesn't do it (laughs) (laughs) or at least it doesn't go as planned obviously (laughs) yeah exactly yeah instead they just talk and then he kills the drug kingpin and then immediately er, played by robert loggia and again another very tasteful choice in casting (laughs) And suddenly, suddenly he's he's the the, uh, the kingpin of Miami and has his own logo and travel agency <laughs> and is literally bringing bags of money into the bank. <laughs> yeah. The other weird thing is that it doesn't go too into detail about how complicit hmm. the police are. There's like no. one cop he has on his payroll. Yeah. And then there's that other scene at the club where he talks to a cop and then ends up killing him. That also confused me. This is after the assassination attempt. Well, this is the only touch that Um, because in the 80s hey colombians bolivians and cubans weren't the only ones running drugs (laughs) Mm -hmm. um it's it's also a huge profit center this may shock you for the american government as well oh (laughs) and there's only yes i know it may shock some people to hear that but um the only scene that really touches on this is when there's a a whistleblower Mm -hmm. Uh, and he comments that not only is it you know not only do we think it's just that the Cuban refugees, the American government and local police forces are also complicit in drug mm-hmm. trafficking. Yeah. And, and also take part in it. And, and they want to assassinate that guy who's about to give yeah. this speech to the UN. But um... But just, John, I mean, yeah, like they're done after that. I mean, after a speech <laughs> to the UN, forget it. <laughs> the UN always gets it done. <laughs> Once exactly. you deliver a speech at the UN, yeah, the game that, is that, over. That Bolivian drug lord um, was every had every right to be terrified. Right? <laughs> he would have gotten a sternly worded letter, <laughs> and no one ever did a drug again. Yes, I, I see him. Diez metros. Diez metros. Muévete. Okay, shut the fuck up, okay? You don't have the guts. Don't look him in the eye when you kill him. You gotta hide with that fucking shit. Tony, Tony, man, he's getting up. Come on, let's do it. Man, you feel good, huh? Make you feel good to kill a mother and a kiss, huh? Make you feel big, big. Like, you big man. Well, fuck you. What do you think I am? You think I killed two kids and a woman? Fuck that! I don't need that shit in my life. You die, motherfucker! And so there's mm. this other weird... This scene has particularly stood out to me because so they want to murder this guy and they're going to plant a bomb under his car and so it'll blow up. Uh, It Mm -hmm. has to be timed and it has to be rigged so that it doesn't just go off when he uh, obviously starts the engine because he doesn't drive himself. So uh, they, they set it up with Hector Salamanca. I don't know the actor's real name, but that's who he always will be. So, mm-hmm. Senior Ding Dong is the uh, guy guy in charge of the remote who's going to blow up the car. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, his wife and kids are also in the car with him. And Tony Montana is, is just not having it. He's not no, having he's it. A, he's a family man, John. <laughs> he's got principle. Of course. I mean, do you see the way he treats his sister? Oh, it's sweet. Yeah. Um And again, <laughs> don't like, look at don't look at how he treats anybody around his sister. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but again, it's weird because again, it goes back to that whole theme of family, which I feel like was kind of more of a central tenet or could have been more of a central tenet to the movie after all it is a gangster film and gangster films you know use that as a theme all the time yeah So, but it just kind of feels again because this movie is so kind of all over the place it just feels kind of tossed off it is because there are so few opportunities for us to sympathize with tony and this is one of the few chances the problem is, yeah, it's not structured right in the story, because at this point, he is the most wanted man in Miami. What the mm-hmm. hell is he doing, like, actually on this assassination? <laughs> Especially since the Bolivian guy has already hired his top assassin to do it. <laughs> yeah, you'd think he would be, like, past the point of, like, bag man at this point. But he's yes. still, like, kind of, like, doing favors. <laughs> he for, was like... literally arrested a scene earlier. <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's doing in Miami, in New York. <laughs> Like, why is he the driver? And also, again, great production design, great attention to detail, but also, like, they have Chinese food cartons and beer on their dashboard. Like, they couldn't (laughs) scream (laughs) stakeout anymore. (laughs) Uh, All right. That bothered me. That bothered me. Well, even, well, John, probably the uh, New York cops are in on it as well. (laughs) Oh, oh, They probably saw, like, hey, open containers. This is an easy ticket here. (laughs) But, oh, no, something about this Al Pacino and Hector Salamanca guy. (laughs) Let's let's let them uh, just do their business. (laughs) John, let's return to that theme of family. Oh, family. Um, particularly, yeah, particularly marriage and our loved ones. Let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about Elvira. Oh, she's my play favorite. By the, play the by the venerable Michelle Pfeiffer. We love Michelle Pfeiffer, don't we? Of oh, course, we, we love her. We love her. <laughs> I just love her whole attitude. This whole movie. <laughs> she is literally. Just, no, I love her as an actress. I don't know what the hell she's doing. <laughs> I think I think she captures what you know. She. I think she captures the all perfectly because she's just meant to be a prop. You are a girlfriend who is passed around from drug dealers. <laughs> and the great thing is. She She doesn't even have to have sex she just sits around (laughs) the house and the pool to look pretty she goes to the club Mm -hmm. with you and she does not give a shit and neither did i so great good job (laughs) yeah what do you think her purpose was was do you think it was to challenge the guys like the drug pins like saying oh you're boring all you're doing is talking about work and business and money is that was that the the purpose of her character or um i think it kind of ties back to um what you know what are what are the three things that Tony Montana wants, like money, power, and women, first, you yeah. get the money, then you'll get the power, then you get the woman and I think it's kind of ironic, I think or at least maybe there's an intentional irony here that now he has the money now he has the power but and he does technically have this woman, but not really. it's like yes, yeah, they're right. married but they're in a completely sexless, loveless relationship, and they just can't stand each other. So it's like, congratulations, you got everything you wanted, Tony, good job. You yeah. know, it's kind of like a monkey's paw, I guess, kind of thing. And that dovetails into another woman he can't have. <laughs> yes, his sister. <laughs> or probably more importantly, can't control. But mm. as Brian De Palma makes explicit with his weird psychosexual <laughs> uh, predilections, <laughs> is he can't have her, and that's, of course, his sister Gina. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, initially they have a very loving relationship. Um, He supports her financially. He supports her dream of becoming a beautician. Mm -hmm. And during that great uh, Push It to the Limit montage, (laughs) he opens up a a store just for her, Gina's. Mm -hmm. But it's not until that she starts uh, uh, seeing her own man. And that really uh, gets Tony's ire, in particularly these are my favorite scenes when it's a tight close-up on Tony, and this electronic like serial killer score <laughs> or slasher <laughs> movie uh, score comes over like Wah. the music <laughs> is not very subtle in this movie <laughs> no, <at all. laughs> but it conveys the fire like not only in just Al Pacino's face but also just the the torment that's going on, like seeing his sister with anybody else and mm-hmm. so again, I thought it was about initially about control, but it's not until the very end when uh, Tony's empire is crumbling, he's run afoul of that Bolivian drug lord, that he sees his sister with his uh, partner Manny, mm-hmm. and even though they're supposed to, I guess, would it have made more sense if they were brothers or something? Because it seems like a, a very uneven relationship. Tony's definitely the more ambitious one with Manny, mm-hmm. but the second that he sees Manny, mm-hmm. his best friend, with his sister, his mm-hmm. his uh, virtuous best friend, <laughs> A guy who does, who's not a killer, who's not a, a bad person, in spite of the uh, the illegal activities he does. Um, with his sister, he instantly shoots him mm-hmm. in cold blood. <laughs> yep. But again, like I, that kind of makes sense to me, because again, you know, Tony Montana is a man of passion, fiery passion. Yeah. So I think it's kind of nice, and again, it's subtly done, where it's like it's not like a big blow up. It's just kind of like slow motion, soft, mm-hmm. and then bam, right in the stomach, <laughs> right there. <laughs> I thought it was nice. But, I thought it was nicely done, and it made sense to me in context of what we know about Tony Montana and his relationship with his sister. Well, it didn't make sense in context to me because this literally follows our, the scene in which he says, "I, I don't kill kids or women." <laughs> I guess that's also true. And instead, but, it's his. It, and instead, it's his best friend. <laughs> He's yeah, like, "But I will kill my best friend for even touching my sister." <laughs> yeah, but also, isn't Tony Montana supposed to kind of be a hypocrite? Isn't he supposed to kind of be an I, asshole? I, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And but what what really kind of Stuck out to me as kind of the final scene in his mansion where his sister comes out in her half open robe, you know, yeah. flashing her titties, being like, Is this what you want, Tony? You've always just wanted me and that's when she starts trying to kill him. I thought yes. that was an interesting twist. I'm like, Oh ooh, more of this. There should have been that more is, of this in the movie. That is full Mr. De Palma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the that's the spice I want. Mm. Yeah, let's um I mean we could maybe comment on some of his other films, like Dress to Kill, mm-hmm. uh Dionysus in sixty <laughs> nine. Mm-hmm uh passion you know just some uh um just some fascinating little sexual interests that Mm. uh, palma throws in his films (laughs) yeah see this this is what i wanted to talk about director trademarks (laughs) (laughs) saucy yes in this case a little incest uh which turns into violence uh intense violence because then she gets machine gunned by one of the bolivian uh soldiers (laughs) yeah so let's 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 be real the only reason why people watch this movie is for the climax Yes, and I think this it's something I think this we've talked game, about. It's a recurring yeah. theme we've talked about on this podcast, which is like as long as you end your movie perfectly, the rest doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> and th- I think this is definitely one of those cases. yes, um it starts with uh, Tony literally inhaling a mountain of cocaine <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean i we literally guffawed at that, so <laughs> it is pretty over the top, but again, yeah. he's an over the top character what do you do what, what do we expect? Yeah. Uh, that's followed by the scene in which uh, all these uh all these soldiers descend on his mansion and mm. I thought and to me it felt like a, an old kung fu movie <laughs> it was like all the ninjas moving in <laughs> yep <laughs> climbing down the walls you know sneaking yep. in like choking people from behind <laughs> yeah and we get that terrible shotgun acting you know that like creepy guy kind of looks like uh, F, uh, Edward James Elmos kind of like this yeah Edward he James. does yeah. yeah a guy in sunglasses you know he's got a sawed off shotgun yeah and, you know, and his sne- sunglasses at night be careful <laughs> I know he's, he's badass not to uh, be trifled with he sneaks behind one of his Henchman and the camera pans over to him, away from like the shotgun barrel, and then you know, bam, gets yeah. him. But it's it's terrible shotgun acting right there. Without the <laughs> squib, you know, it's it's nothing. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think what also makes speaking about production design, I'm glad you mentioned squibs, mm-hmm. because what follows is Tony Montana taking this enormous bazooka and literally <laughs> blasting down the door mm-hmm. and taking about 20 rounds before he finally meets his demise. Mm-hmm. And so like. I, I thought it was hugely impressive how they got a world-class actor like Al Pacino attached twenty different squibs on him. <laughs> <laughs> very dangerous things. Again, they killed actor Brandon Lee, so again, be very careful with squibs. You can see why they do. Well, no, that was a blank. That was oh, a really? blank. Oh, really? Out of a gun? Yeah, yeah. But so the blanks it shouldn't sorry, be Sorry, I used. I, sorry, I meant blank earlier instead of squib. My bad. A blank is the the fake bullet, so you get some muzzle flash from a gun. A squib is the blood that spurts out when you get shot. Yes. So I don't think any. they weren't pointing any kind of blanks at him. I don't, you know, because again, no, it's No, but still, cut, there's it's an explosion going on in Yeah, his body. no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, I was reading the trivia, he burned his hand when he did the say hello to my little friend thing, because you know how intensely he grabs the barrel? He, yes. he grabbed it in the wrong place, <laughs> and there was a huge amount of heat, so he burned his hand. <laughs> Well again he was high on cocaine like everybody else in the movie so Ooh rumor alert did they use real cocaine on set? (laughs) (laughs) If you ask Oliver Stone, probably. Yeah, Um. exactly. (laughs) That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted in his vision. You know, writers. They want (laughs) authenticity. (laughs) You wanna follow me? Okay. Wanna fly? Okay. Okay. Do you want to play with us? OK. No. Nope. Say hello to my little friend! <laughs> OK. Do you want to play with us? OK. Yeah. OK. Do you want like that? Huh? Do you want more? Of course, he he takes twenty rounds. He falls into his fountain underneath yep. his his beautiful "The World Is Yours" statue, bringing it in yes. full circle, as all these gangster films. must Yes, say. which I didn't know was the tagline for Pan American Airlines. So. <laughs> I didn't know where that came from. It just seemed like a, a something that uh, Grand Theft Auto, that the folks at Rockstar Games and Grand Theft Auto. Well, no, I always called, thought I always tied it back to. Uh, like gangster movies cuz i think it is i think that is a phrase that originally is from the 1932 film don't quote me on that oh okay but then there's also white heat look at me my yeah, it's very top of the world of them, yeah. you know it's yeah. it's you know the fact the you know the whole pastiche of you know the world being yours is something i think is recurs in a lot of gangster yeah. films so. mm-hmm. before your final fall <laughs> exactly literally exactly. before your final fall so. Oh, you yeah. thought the world was yours <laughs> think again <laughs> <laughs> so i well Yes, brilliant climax. I wish we could have stayed till the very end, though, John. Oh, okay. Because we did watch for what what this what this movie passes off as maybe a post credit scene, a little title card that says, "Hey, you remember what we said earlier about you know Cubans being vicious and we shouldn't allow them to be refugees in our country?" <laughs> By the way, uh, what actually? This is a very small set, subset of Cubans, and we shouldn't actually view this movie in in light of that. So. <laughs> Trying there to was that nice, tasteful little title card of uh, five minutes after everybody's already left. So no, okay, <laughs> I completely missed it. I shut it off as soon as right, yeah. <laughs> after the you know in or whatever. So yeah, because you've already been there for four <laughs> hours. <laughs> but yeah, overall. But yeah, I. I think up, ideally. This movie's popularity stems from uh, you having the DVD on in the background. <laughs> exactly, it's definitely a and background movie. <laughs> and you're, yeah, you're not paying attention to those interminable scenes where they're just talking and talking and talking. Mm-hmm. And you only perk up when you get the push it to the limit montage or that final climax in Tony's mansion, mm-hmm. um, or the chainsaw scene. Like th- that's that's what really this repu- the reputation of this movie lies on. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, if you like this movie, it's only because you put it on. DVD in the background. So <laughs> be honest Otherwise, with your be honest with yourself listeners. When's the last yeah. time you actually sat down and watched the whole thing? You don't have time. Okay? It's not it's not no. possible. No. <laughs> nobody has time. <laughs> so this is I again, prototypical YouTube movie. You just see the best clips on YouTube and say like, "Oh, mo- that movie's great." And <laughs> exactly. you don't have to sit to the other uh, 150 minutes of it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. What did you fuck with? I told him about that. You fuck with me? I, I told you you fucking with it back. Ah! Huh? back. I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I do So thumbs down. <laughs> no. Ugh, garbage. Scarface full out of here. <laughs> Not fresh. It's no. rotten. Nope. You know what? I never thought about that. It's called rotten tomatoes. It's implying mm. that, you know, most movies are bad. Is that what <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: Instinctively if you, if you,
0: if, you the... if you don't call your website fresh tomatoes, you call it rotten tomatoes. You're implying that the movies already are bad. Yes, and well that's part of the scale too because it's technically 60% is what it needs to be fresh. It's a oh. it's like a a slightly slimmer threshold. Okay. to be better. And I think actually though if you look at reviews, at least user reviews, more movies are generally regarded as fresh. So it should be called fresh tomatoes. Mm, all right. Even on Metacritic I think more movies are regarded as in the green than any other category. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Because every movie is a miracle, so <laughs> that is true. Every movie is a yeah. miracle. Mm-hmm. Especially this one. All that cocaine? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I want to quickly recommend uh, on ClickHole, you can find a video, you know, five ways. Or, you know, you'll never look at Scarface the same way. and It's full of fun little trivia facts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like how uh, Al Pacino worked with a dialect coach for nine years to perfect his Liverpool accent. <laughs> <laughs> Liver and John. Liver and yes. <laughs> but Greg, speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, I think we should yeah. recommend some things that are certified fresh, don't you? Absolutely. I've, uh, we've got some other miraculous movies to recommend. In our signature section, Spotlight. Spotlight 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 Spotlight. Spotlight. It's time, Robbie! It's time! Spotlight (laughs) John, I've got (laughs) something I want to wholeheartedly recommend Okay Uh, I don't have a moment to spare Alright, go for it Yes, I want to first comment on uh, an aspect of advertising that actually worked (laughs) Uh, You and I listen to NPR I've been hearing ads for this documentary You know, saying that uh, this news report was brought to you by X Mm -hmm. In this case, it's a Hulu original documentary called Minding the Gap Greg, I just recommended a Hulu original documentary. Are we saying that Hulu original document Are we sponsored by Hulu and you didn't tell no, me? No, we're not. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, John, this one's slightly different. Maybe not as glib as your recap of the Dana Carvey show. Oh, excuse me. Instead okay. this one's pain- this one's really earnest. All right. All right. Go for it. This is this follows uh, the travails of filmmaker Bing Liu. Mhm as he b- follows his friends, his skateboarding friends, in the dying city of Rockford, Illinois. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what starts is a like kind of prototypical skateboard movie, then evolves into an exploration of class, race, and domestic violence, uh, just basically growing up. Oh, oh dear. Yeah, so a- again, what I think initially started as, you know, this guy filming his friends for like over the years he he always filmed his friends, I think there's this familiarity with him like having a camera in front of his face, and why his friends are so like comfortable uh talking to him uh especially about skateboarding um it basically evolves into a profile of them and them growing up in this dying town essentially <laughs> um now I should start it opens with that skateboarding that that is amazing these <laughs> these are just incredible skateboarders. <laughs> Uh, who we profile is, uh, the oldest of them is a guy named Zack. Mm-hmm. Um, he just had his first child with his girlfriend, uh, what soon doesn't become his girlfriend. Um, his other friend, uh, Kier, a young black man, mm-hmm. um, who's also like a tremendously talented skateboarder. And the filmmaker Im- himself, Bing, um, who's Asian. So we have all, obviously this great intersection of race uh, going on here mm-hmm. uh, between these three young men. And that's actually the uh, aspect of the story that's kind of least explored. Um, it's only brought up once in the fact that uh Keir is the only black eye among his uh skateboarding friends, okay, and so it, there's only one like kind of uh, well, he's courage- just a naturally gifted athlete, so yeah, this <laughs> 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 is <a J-book. laughs> <laughs> there's only there's only a few pointy questions from Bing on that subject, and then there's one. Really cringe, cringeworthy scene <laughs> in which uh, one of his uh, one of his friends is actual age um, because again he's he's the only black friend among a, a group of friends who are white and also significantly older by at least six or seven years so okay that's a, that's a little odd too but the cringeworthy scene in which uh, a guy comments that uh, white trash Americans are just as oppressed as uh, black folks so oh okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's the only like comment on race um it it also comments on class because as i said rock- rockford is a like a pretty much a dying town like you see how deserted and run down their homes are and how they desperately kind of want to get out or find a job and the circumstances in which they have money and then get money and then lose it um mm-hmm. so like again sadly coincidentally i mean Bing did find like some some really good documentary material here not fortunately obviously for the folks who lost uh, their life savings for instance but mm-hmm. still that's what kind of makes this uh, documentary extraordinary uh, especially when it gets to that last topic and that's uh, the notion of domestic violence because all three of these guys have experienced domestic violence in their lives and basically being is trying to find a way to not only negotiate and uh, come to terms with it um, his growing up but also coming to terms that uh, the cycle is kind of repeating in his friend Zach so Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Fine! Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, that's that's the thing. What starts... What you think starts is a kind of, you know, glorious, you know, uh, freedom-filled uh, skateboard documentary turning into this, like, treatise on domestic violence. You think, like, you know, and it gets dark and enters some really dramatic moments. But what really carries it forward, and I will say, John, there is an affirmative ending, so don't worry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And there was never any domestic violence again. Yeah. <laughs> No, but what really carries it forward is that uh just the the vivacity of his two friends Kier and Zach mm-hmm. um Zach is a high school dropout yet he's like so quick with his kind of responses um like uh like like uh Bing at one point, Bing asked him if he ever had like uh, if he was ever able to talk out the issues with his girlfriend, and he immediately retorts like successfully question <laughs> <Okay>. mark <laughs> so so he's a very bright guy, it's just a matter of, like it's it's also clear that he's um he's descending into some substance abuse as mm-hmm. well as um maybe he has a learning disability because he does try to get his g e d and uh support his family financially. And then there's also Kier. I mean, he's also got this very kind of bright, sunny disposition until he talks about, uh, or at least until he talks about his his upbringing and his uh, disciplinary father and what a relief skateboarding does. Um, but then, in those skateboarding second, in those skateboarding moments, you see how frustrated he gets with trying to land a trick and that kind of release when he finally does. Oh. so that's that's also the how does that uh, tie into his disciplinary father like he, he drives himself more because he knows that his father is kind of like very tough on him yes Okay. I I believe that's it yeah again if we could play armchair psychologist yeah I think that's what makes this (laughs) kind of like so extraordinary is the fact that not only extraordinary filmmaking but the the fact that they could find these ideas and really elucidate them through these kind of real life examples again I don't want to talk about them like their characters because they're obviously real people um, with real emotions and you know real lives to go through so uh, again Bing Liu found some extraordinary material here it's his first movie ever like after you know working on these Hollywood productions in Chicago so Again it's it's a pretty extraordinary documentary. I was I was ready to be dismissive of it immediately like saying like watching these uh, burnouts just be like oh I can't oh I can't skate anymore like oh, I got to I got to get a good job and get money and like and yep. like yeah no like, duh, I I figured that out 5 years ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> so it's like a documentary version of like mid 90s? Is that what this is? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I haven't seen mid 90s. I'm going to assume this lapses mid 90s. <laughs> So, again, another Hulu original documentary called Minding the Gap. Um, Oscar nom? Yeah. Mm. Potentially. Okay. I believe it's got some uh, Independent Spirit Awards nom. nominations. Okay. Who hosted this year, the Independent Spirit Awards? Uh, Well, nobody's hosted it yet because it hasn't happened yet since this recording. Right. Right. Uh, I don't know. They haven't announced yet. <laughs> Greg, you follow awards season. You know what's going on. Indeed. John, I need to know, what is ABC going to do if their t- Oscar telecast is a disaster? The ratings have been falling, John. <laughs> We need that most popular film category. (laughs) We need that host to give, you know, low middle brow, you know, (laughs) jokes. We need someone up there to fall flat, to be that sacrificial lamb for us. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) To have that thankless job. Exactly. Well, Greg, for my spotlight, um, Mm -hmm. the Golden Globes just happened. And uh, for some reason, I've just been catching up on a lot of like critically lauded television recently. So for the next few weeks, mm-hmm. you know, get ready for some hot takes. Hey, the show everyone said was good. I've been watching it and it is good. Um, I finally <laughs> I finally caught up on Atlanta this week. Uh, the first All two right. seasons are now on Hulu. So I've been uh, catching up with that. Again, are we sponsored by Hulu? Why don't we have no money from Hulu? I, I don't know. <laughs> Hulu, come on, get on it. Get, Get on it, Hulu. Anyway, um, surprise, it's quite good. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's kind of a hard show to explain, but then I was reading a bit about it, and Donald Glover basically describes it as uh, curb your enthusiasm with rappers, and that's ultimately what it is. <laughs> um, All right. right, it's—it's so it, a lot of social awkwardness? What's, what's going on here? Yes, uh, it's a show about, uh, it's a, show about um, a young man named Earn. Uh, we don't know too much about him, although he did apparently go to Princeton at one point, uh, but dropped out. And when we first greet him, he's living with his girlfriend, Van, and they have a Mm. child together. And without Van, he would ostensibly be homeless because his parents have kicked him out. But if there's one thing about Ern, it's that hustle. He's got that hustle. He wants to be Mm. a rap producer and maybe even a rapper himself. So what he does is he kind of leeches on to his cousin, Alfred. Alfred goes by the moniker Paperboy um, with an eye. This is the Keith Stanfield, right? No, uh, Brian uh, Tree henry uh lakeith stanfield oh, okay. places best friend darius oh, okay darius is kind of just there to cut he's he's the wild card character darius Got is it. just kind of in the background he's best friends with uh alfred he's always hanging out and you just never know what's up with him <laughs> okay. when we when he's first introduced uh earn goes to you know meet up with alfred and be like hey i could be your manager um darius greets him at the door wearing an apron because he just baked cookies Oh, wait, and he also has a gun, you know, because they might be on some drug deal later. Um. (laughs) And that's kind of that's that's the kind of interesting thing about the show. It's 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 got this I don't I don't know if it's realistic, because, again, I've never been to Atlanta. I don't know how, you know, black people in Atlanta live, but it's got Mm. this very kind of like. Well, John, there are a lot of black people in Atlanta. They probably live (laughs) a little differently. Let's not generalize like that. Okay, fine, 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 fine. I don't know how lower income people live in Atlanta but it seems kind of very true to life but that's also when kind of the whimsical weird contrived stuff comes up that's why it feels all the more stranger there's this scene for instance where Ern is on the bus with his kid you know, yeah. he's, he's coming home from after a long day he's got to take his kid home with him and uh, you know a man in the brown suit just kind of like talk starts talking to him and he offers him a Nutella sandwich and he's like take a bite of the sandwich and he's like, no, man. And he turns around and he looks away. There's a cut. And when he turns around, the man is gone. <laughs> yeah. So when there's like right. these weird whimsical stuff. And again, like it's very Curb Your Enthusiasm, like kind of the weird. Because again, Earn has this hustle but he'll always Mm. make the wrong decision. (laughs) Okay. So you kind of want to admire him for the fact that he's always kind of like trying, trying to upgrade his station in life, even though he had the opportunities at one point, he obviously went to Princeton, but you know, obviously he failed miserably. So it's like you want to root for him, even though, you know, he's always going to make the wrong decision. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. I mean, sounds that's the thing. I can't put my finger on it, so I don't know if I want to make the time commitment mm. uh, to it. But John, come on, just get to what people really want to talk about, and that's Teddy Perkins. <laughs> talk about Teddy Perkins, John. <laughs> I haven't gotten to Teddy Perkins yet. Sadly. What? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not at that episode quite yet. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one element of of uh, Atlanta I have exposed myself to, and I do like that FX is really changing the paradigm. Is hey, what if our sitcoms weren't funny? <laughs> No, it's still actually very funny. It's just very dry. I think that's oh, okay. kind of the issue. And uh, I'll give you a perfect example of kind of the, the Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, aspect of it. Darius, mm-hmm. uh, in one episode, we follow him as he, uh, gets a, he gets a poster. We don't know what the poster is yet, but he gets a poster and then he decides to take it to the gun range. So mm-hmm. he goes to, you know, the gun store. He, he picks up a new gun. You know, they, they, they deal drugs on the side, so there's, like, always that kind of, like, implication. But, again, it's never treated, like, too melodramatically or seriously. Um, okay. But he, he gets, he, you know, he gets his gun, gets on the firing range, and he puts up his poster. And it's finally revealed it's a uh, basically a target practice for shooting a dog. What? <laughs> it's like, you know, how they have the little outlines of humans, and it's like, you know, here's the heart, here's the head. It's the same yeah. thing, but it's for the, a profile of a dog, like a German Shepherd. Okay. And of well, course... Why would, what, who sent him such a poster? <laughs> well, he bought it offline, obviously. And well, why, why did he buy this online? Like, <laughs> Was what he, did he forget? Was he drunk or high at the time? I just... watched the TV show, okay? I'm okay, trying to explain to, it to you. <laughs> no, you, clearly you aren't, though, successfully. Like, why did he have this That's the joke, he... you idiot! That's the point! And again, <laughs> okay. the situation dissolves because everyone's watching him target practice on a dog and everyone's offended. Okay. That's the joke. It's the fact that like he they're using devices that are designed to kill humans, but it's like if you use it on a dog, that's like immoral? That's the okay. joke, Greg. <laughs> All right, but I'm missing I'm missing the logical leap of why he had a dog target practice poster in the first place. That's that's what I'm missing. Oh, he explained. Dogs are scary. Have you seen dogs? They can kind of go crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's his pit explanation. Balls, yeah, pit bulls are they should be eradicated as a public as a public health. <laughs> <laughs> that's his explanation. Concern. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the joke. The fact is yeah, like so he did intentionally do this. (laughs) Yes. So that he could overcome his fear of dogs. Okay. Now you've now you've contextualized a little bit. Okay, now I find it five percent funnier. Oh (laughs) my gosh. (laughs) Apparently this show is not for Greg, because you need to write out everything. (laughs) I need to know what day he's specifically I mean, went I don't need an explanation. I, I, I had a question. You answered it poorly. No, oh, that's an oh, excuse. That's what you should take away from me. No, you from interrupted this. me. I was trying to explain. I was trying to explain the whole scene, but you're like, no, no, cut it quick. Hold on. Hold on. That's not how improv works, Greg. Like, hold on. Cut the scene a minute. Let's figure out how this is supposed to work. <laughs> this wasn't improv. This was you selling me on a show, and you were doing a poor job of it. <laughs> Ugh, I did a great job. Go check out Atlanta. Great show. You're yes. welcome. Anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, this episode apparently brought to you by Hulu. Check out Atlanta and uh, Minding the Gap. <laughs> and uh, Two Point Pointed Fail, The Danny Carver Show. Anyway. And Bob's Burgers. Yes. <laughs> Which is the only other way that I use Hulu generally. <laughs> <laughs> and Futurama reruns. Let's not forget That's Futurama true. reruns. I've been mm-hmm. re-watching Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. Ugh, those cool. Scarface, avoid it, yeah. Yeah, well. Well, Greg, what else can we recommend? Might oh, we recommend well. some... Social media pages. <laughs> well, I can't in uh, earnest recommend social media pages. I'm not that active on social media, um, but uh, but it is necessary for the business that we run. The business in which we make zero dollars. So mm-hmm. so why don't you go ahead and like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter. Um, Follow us on Instagram, which we don't have, but nope. John, come on, get on that. <laughs> All we'll... right, fine. Oh, what am I going to take pictures of? My breakfast? What? What? what, what? <laughs> yes. This is an audio medium. Here's an idea. Go to the gun range with a DVD of Scarface oh, and watch no, the people no. be offended there. Oh, of course. Because Scarface is not a good movie, so. I <laughs> mean, but when you shoot a DVD, it's so cool to watch this piece of shatter. It's really neat. That's true. Yeah. Maybe a VHS tape. Ooh, there's a, there's an idea. Maybe what? the two VHS tapes, because there's no way that the three hours of Scarface could have fit on a single tape. What are we, Red Letter Media? We're destroying VHS tapes now? Come on. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Riding yes. their coattails, apparently. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so anyway, social media, you know the handles by now. Mm-hmm. Aspiring snobs. One thing you may not know, yeah. One thing you may not know is our email address, mm-hmm. which is aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Let us know why we're wrong about, say, Scarface, or if you have a movie to recommend us, you know, send it our way. Of course. And mm-hmm. after you've all done with that, you've you're obviously on your podcast service of choice right now. Why don't you give us mm-hmm. a rating and review, and then that'll help other people find us. You could be on Apple Podcasts right now. You could be on Spotify. You could be on Stitcher. You could be on anything because we are on all of them. Yes. Over five people have reviewed us on <laughs> iTunes. So, excuse me, Apple Podcasts. Be one of those five people. Help people find the show. And uh, you won't feel as though your tastes are weird or eclectic or something like that. Instead, no. they'll feel more mainstream. Yes. We're all about mainstream. Although, actually, no. We also have hot takes. Like, again, Scarface. Bad movie. Boo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hot takes. All those rappers were wrong. <laughs> College students, tear it down from your dorm room poster. <laughs> Well, Greg, what hot take do we have prepared for them next week? Well, um, since we're on this uh, college dorm room poster kick, (laughs) we decided to watch another cult classic, uh, maybe of a bygone era. Uh, In the case of Scarface, it was uh, gangster Rappers from the early 2000s on MTV Cribs. Mm -hmm. Uh, For this one, it is uh, Acolytes of One Kevin Smith. Mm. Uh, You and I have never seen the movie Clerks before, and that's what we're going to be exposing ourselves to next week. Ooh, correction, Greg. Sorry. Addendum. I have seen Clerks before. But oh, really, oh sorry. I want to see your opinion of it. I think it'll be fascinating. <laughs> hey, I like these slice of life black and white movies. I mean, I recommended Roma. Uh there are a ton of other Mexican new wave uh black and white slice of life movies I could recommend. Uh, Jueros, uh Duck uh and um a few other ones. So, who knows? Maybe Clerks uh follows follows in their uh, footsteps. You know what? I definitely feel like that was an inspiration. It yeah. had to be. It had to be, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Follows in their footsteps. What am I saying? Clerks was the trailblazer. Here. <laughs> oh, of course. Nobody else thought of doing a slice of life movie in black and white on black and white film. <laughs> no one cheap. ever thought, and no one realized. Hey, wait! Black and white is cheaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is an artistic choice now. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so look forward to that next week. But until then, thank you everybody for listening, and until next time, keep aspiring, you cacciavacchi. <laughs> <laughs> that was a flawless Italian accent. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> Your special place. Close your eyes, show me your face. I'm gonna piss on it. <laughs> be, love. I don't even want none of the above. I want to piss on you. Piss yes, Listen, I'll piss on you. I'll pee on you. Set your body, your body. It's a water party.